Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to AI Named This Show. I'm Tasia Custody. And I'm Tristan Jutra. And we are your human hosts. On this week's episode, we have a little bit of follow-up on the AI George Carlin and the Samsung Galaxy S24 AI features before we dive headfirst into so many updates from Google and OpenAI with, you know, just a skosh of online child safety to keep it real for you. Nice and light. Nice light topic. Super light up today. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger show. <laughs> and hi, or Buna, to our listeners in Romania. Buna. Buna. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Tell a friend. Tell, uh, not just a friend, tell all the friends. So I want to kick us off with a little bit of follow-up, TJ, because last week we mentioned the whole George Carlin, you know, quote-unquote special. That was like the hour-long AI-generated show from dudesy that was put up on youtube and then of course replicated a million times <laughs> on youtube genie's out of the bottle mm -hmm. once again so we talked about how kelly carlin his daughter was not very happy she was considering legal action well the family it's official they have filed a lawsuit and what they're asking for in the lawsuit is really they want that hour-long comedy special i'll always put in quotations by dudesy removed they want it gone. They want it taken off of YouTube. They want it wiped from the interwebs. And good luck with that. Right. So I I watched this very short interview with with Kelly, and you know, for her, it's just so much about like her dad's of course autonomy, basically, and his work, his life's work, and protecting that. So obviously, I wish them luck for sure. But the second follow-up to that is that we had talked about how it was, was AI-generated. And do you remember, I think we mentioned, hopefully this wasn't a thought in my head and we actually talked about it, that there was a claim that, well, like my thought about it was they have to actually be, like these two are comedy writers, the mm -hmm. guys behind Dudesy. So they're probably actually behind a bit of it. Like, is it fully AI-generated? Well, that whole thing they've it's now been admitted i was right <laughs> they're saying it was written by a human now how much by a human and Maybe. if and would you want to take the credit because it wasn't great the jokes yeah, exactly. in, in apparently george carlin's style and voice weren't great so my assumption is somewhat written by a human. So in a statement provided to the New York Times on Friday morning last week, I believe, a spokesperson for Will Sasso and Coltkin, we remember last time we said we don't know who he is, but he's also a writer. They stated for the I'm glad I'm dead, the material itself was completely written by Coltkin. Although the lawsuit's defendants have yet to confirm that if they employed AI for the Carlin vocal clone or accompanying artwork. So I don't know what, if if you, we should have got a lawyer on the show because I don't know. Sounds expensive. Is, is anybody out there a lawyer? Like, would this be a tact, like a strategical move to say, a strategical, a strategic move to say, oh no, we didn't AI like I, but then you're saying you created fake stuff and then also you lied and pretended it was AI generated. Like, it's just, 
this very bizarre turn of events for him to say he wrote it. Yeah, and it's hard to say like which is better, frankly. Right. And honestly, I, I'm not sure if it really matters because you know, there's I mean, there's the image, and yeah, the I guess the estate has some rights over the image, but they didn't do video. They didn't do generative video. They have an uh, an image, and whether that could be just a regular photo, perhaps it's generative AI. That's not clear. That uh, made the the photo the voice. Well, it's most definitely an AI voice model, and mm-hmm. perhaps one of the two or someone else did the delivery. Maybe they have someone who is, has got the rhythm nailed, and then they just applied a George Carlin AI voice model to, just like we've seen multiple right. times on YouTube with you know the Kanye covers and AI sis doing Oasis songs and all all that kind of good stuff. So uh, when you like, I took one for the team, and I and I I listened to the whole special. I'm, and I listened to it at 1x speed. I didn't speed it up like I do with the podcast. Again, pro tip, folks. If you find this drags a little bit, just speed us up a little. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it at 1x speed just to because for comedy, it's it, it messes up the timing if you listen to things quickly. And it, I mean, to be fair, it sounded like George Carlin. Like there was a couple of little bits here and there where it's like maybe the timing was slightly off. There is some crowd uh, applause and whatnot, which sounded, sounded a little janky at times. The to your point, the material itself was like meh. I mean, George Carlin was sort of was pretty edgy for his time, and even that style of material today, like it, it sort of works if you've never heard like edgy jokes before. <laughs> right. It's, it, it was kind of retreading a lot of familiar ground, quite honestly. So, I mean, it's an interesting experiment. If that's if that's their, if they're admitting to be human writers for that, it's like, okay, is that something I'd rather say it was AI that did? Honestly, it felt like AI because the jokes were, you know, maybe the, the topics of the jokes were kind of in line with what you think AI would assume about uh, or would glean from George Carlin's material. It's trickier to get the delivery down, like the actual phrasing of things. And maybe, so maybe they had some help. Maybe they had AI do a first draft, which a lot of folks do, and maybe they just punched it up a little. Hard to say. I guess this will all come out in discovery with the case. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure if there's really a, a, a case there because it hasn't been established that necessarily that people own their own voice. Like they're not claiming to be there. I mean, they say very clearly, like we talked about last week, that it's not George Carlin. So, I mean, impersonate. I, I mean, we, you were talking about the difference between impersonating and replicating. So, I guess it's a question if that's actually a legal principle, because they're, again, they're they're not misrepresenting themselves as as actually George Carlin. So, yeah, TBD. It's just again, once again, the lawyers will get rich. Ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting in terms of precedent. So, if they're the plaintiffs are successful, the, the uh, Kelly Carlin uh, re- representing her father is successful, then. Yeah, that's going to have a bit of a chilling effect, probably. Uh, If it's unsuccessful, then it's going to be game on. Big time. And speaking of game on, when we talked about all of the Samsung goodness when they launched the Galaxy S24 and there was all this AI goodness, what's going on with this? Is this not going to be free for people? Well, the new AI features of the Samsung Galaxy S24 phones, such as Google's Circle to Search, and you might have a thought on that in a moment, uh, and Live Translate, um, are, are free for now, but might require a subscription in the future. So there's a recent interview with Samsung's president of its uh, mobile division. His name is T.M. Rowe, and he confirmed that the company will keep its AI free until the end of 2025. So that's almost two years for okay. the, uh, the S24 phones, and but the may offer more powerful AI capabilities to customers who are willing to pay for them after that. So it sounds like the existing AI features will be free till then. I suspect that I, I suspect that they're not going to start charging for existing stuff. That would be, I mean, just for example, like um, when we saw what Apple announced, uh, who was it, in 2023, the emergency um, so there's emergency messaging via satellite and whatnot, and they said it was going to be free for X amount of time. And, you know, it might cost some money in the future. If they start, tr- I mean, with all these stories coming out about how people are using this to, like, not die, um, that 
for Apple to all of a sudden go, oh, okay, now it's, you're going to you know now pay us 10 or 20 bucks a month and without always returning it off and you're going to die. Like that's, that would yeah. be kind of rough to do that. Now, to be fair, I think AI is a lot more expensive to run. Like we've discussed in the past, it's computationally intensive. And so what I think, would, but in some cases, I think the cost might be coming down for, if you take features today, what will those features cost to run um, in, in a year or two years from now? Maybe you can still keep giving those away, but if there's more advanced, swishy features, we get people excited about these kinds of things, and here's even more. All right, maybe you know, there, there'll be a little bit of a, a premium charge for even cooler stuff. For example, an enhanced uh, onboard on Assistant. I mean, they've got that already uh, to a certain extent, but if they go even further, it's it's hard to say. Everyone's still kind of positioning themselves. Google, Samsung. You know, we're still kind of waiting to hear from Apple, but it would be really it would be a bad look for them to start charging people for software features that they're getting for free at the OS level right now. Yeah, we already bought the device. Exactly. We bought the thing with those features. That's all people understand. So. And then we already pay a monthly fee to talk on the device and to text on the device. So it's a hard sell. Mm-hmm. It's and, a very hard sell. And people are already paying for a lot of premium features from, you know, whether it's Samsung or Google or Apple. So maybe they'll roll it into some of their bundles and encourage people to, you know, go go for the bundles. Uh, but, it, we, of course, other AI services out there charge a fee, like you know, JetGPT Plus and Microsoft's Copilot Pro. So that's not unusual. I'd be curious to see what the conversion rate is on that for all the subscribers out there to say to JetGPT, how, what percentage are actually paying for Plus? Here's um, the bundle I see mm-hmm. with Google. You pay for say like a Google Advanced, which is coming or something like that. Maybe. They'll have three different versions. Of They're like going to have 17 different names, different names of, <laughs> of basically, let's just call it Bard. Okay. So sure. say you're paying for a version of Bard. There's going to be a bundle like if you pay for Bard and you bundle that with these other whatever software things, you get the device for free. Oh. That's the bundle I see is with these companies that are kind of already all in because in any other way, like especially with a like a Pixel, we already have all these sweet freaking AI features, and they're the selling point of the device. That's the that's the I call it the magic mm-hmm. of the Pixel. It freaking blows my mind every day. Still, when I use this thing, that I'm like, I just can't believe I do. And it gets better every time they update the software. So, like Magic Eraser, in the two years maybe that it's been out, if that, like. It's insane, Tristan, and it still blows my mind. And now that seems like such a basic thing compared to all these other computational photography and AI magic that they've put in. So that's kind of the bundle I could maybe see happening. But, you know. <laughs> so they they got to get paid somehow. If they're, if they're running the stuff in the cloud, that's a lot of money. Um, but... Yeah, but then if just they're running don't. stuff on device, like yeah. that's the thing is we've got like Gemini Nano running on, on device. So then there's less cost there, of course. So maybe you've got a two-tiered thing where in what, how they brand it could depend on the, the, the handset maker, in this case, Samsung, uh, whether or not they'll be using the Gemini branding like quite explicitly is TBD, but maybe they'll say, okay, if you want Gemini Nano, they have three built in. But if you want was it Gemini? There's Gemini Pro, and then there's Gemini Ultra. Is that is that the branding? I can't yes. even keep track. So maybe there'll be add-ons, like maybe there'll be a rev share between Samsung and, and Google or something to be promoting that stuff. Or some maybe Samsung will roll their own because some of their on-device features are made by Samsung. So I, I guess they're just kind of feeling out the market a little bit. And if people get hooked on these AI features and they want more and more and more, again, it's the, the freemium thing that you love, Tasia. So... How many people will be satisfied with the free built-in features versus paying for the extra, like the equivalent of a ChatGPT Plus or a Copilot um, Pro? So, or perhaps yeah. once again, watch this space. Google Bard with Gemini Pro. Dun dun dun. Because guess what? It's rolled out, Tristan, mm-hmm. and Bard, powered by Gemini Pro model, is officially available in more than forty languages and two hundred and thirty countries. <laughs> It's here. So, 
you might recall there was a double check feature that they had rolled out as well. That is also now available in more than 40 languages. So the double check was basically you can check via Google searches, like you click something in BARD and it checks via Google searches, the accuracy of what it's claiming in BARD, which is very nice. So that's 40 more languages now. And image generation is here. So you can officially generate your images in BARD. The caveat, as of right now, this is English only. So images created by BARD will have a Synth ID digital watermark, by the way, which is developed by DeepMind, embedded in pixels. The catch for that is that's that... Synth, and that's Synth ID, right? That's Synth ID, correct. Okay. But the catch for that is you have to use Google's tools to identify those images. So it's kind of like, you know, they're they're trying to put the safe safety rails in place a little bit. As we know, they were a bit slower to roll kind of everything out. But here's what the Google announcement said. It said, there's a clear distinction between visuals created with BARD and original human artwork. They also said that they banned the generation of named people in an effort to avoid the creation of deep fakes, kind of like we saw with my queen, Taylor, and we've seen with a lot of celebrities. I mean, you and I had talked way at the beginning of days of this show with deepfake Tom Hanks and, oh, there was deepfake Mr. Beast. And there's like, there's just been a myriad of this stuff. It took, it took McQueen and the, you know, viralness of that and the explicit content of that to really you know, for these companies to start going, okay, hang on a second. Because so they're, they, so Bard they is f- trying. Because they don't want to face the wrath of the Swifties, right? And that's, I mean, that's the kind of the shame of it all. There's been all, there've been all sorts of people who've been suffering with, with this issue, like lesser celebrities, let alone, you know, we talked about school students and, and yeah. <laughs> but, but if you know, this once is it what hits happened, someone high profile, oh, now we got to take it seriously. And next right. thing you know, they're in the levels of government, they're talking about Taylor Swift. It's like, all right, that's what it takes. That's that's because that's what's in the news, and that's what do you think about this? And you know, I'll talk about that in a bit. But it's like, if that's what can finally get people talking and realizing, like, yeah, preteens, teens have been dealing with this at school. Maybe we should figure it out. So that's kind of your latest, at least as of this week, (laughs) Bard updates. There's more Google news. You you don't say. You don't say. I let, let's take a guess what it is because last week <laughs> uh, we raised uh, Google raised its generative video tool count to three with Imogen Video. Oh, is it Imogen or Imagine? I mean, I can see, see that's what I want. To, my mind wants to say Imogen, but then it, I think it's Imagine. It's I M A G E N. Right. Maybe so I we think should it's ask a, it. I think you it's a play on Imagine, ask, but ask it's Google spelled Bard. like you want to say Imogen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've had Imogen Video, Video Post, and most recently, Lumiere. Well, now it's announced. I mean, these announcements are coming every week. you got to get keep up. We need another name. We need another show. We need a bigger show. Um, yeah, Google needs another name. Uh, it's annou- so it announced new and improved tools for generating images, music, and text. Okay, so last week was video. Now it's images, music, and text. Okay. So using AI. So we've got image effects music effects, and text effects. And these are all things that they've been working with in the labs uh, for a while. Um, image effects is a text image tool. And I'm pretty sure you know, like, they've got other ones too, but this yeah. is with has an interface with expressive chips that allow users to experiment with different dimensions of their creations. It, it, it also uses Synth ID for digital watermarking, like we uh, touched on, and IPTC metadata to provide more information about the AI-generated images. What is IPTC, you ask? Well, that's part of our job here, so decode stuff that you might not understand, and we probably don't either. But we learned <laughs> together that IPTC is a consortium of the world's major news agencies um, and uh, other, ag- other news providers and news industry vendors and acts as the global standards body of the news media. So you can see how that's relevant for establishing the provenance of media, mm-hmm. including images, right? So it's all tied into watermarking and all that kind of stuff. So since um, uh, Imogen 2, uh, which is the model that powers image effects and other generative AI options in Google's products, has an upgraded ability to generate its highest quality AI-generated photorealistic 
images yet, Google says it's made significant investments in data safety and guardrails to limit problematic outputs, like those we just mentioned in the last story. Then there's music effects. And Google says it's made upgrades to the music LM model, which I believe we've talked about either in the show or on Momentous Live before, which includes faster generation of music and higher quality audio and generated songs of up to 70 seconds long. And that's a space that's wild. The, the, mm-hmm. the quality of music that's being produced by AI now, it's like it's come so far in the last couple of years, just like all this stuff has. And then there's uh, text effects. Google has rolled out the usability updates in the aim of improving navigation and the overall user experience. So more kind of housekeeping stuff with text effects. So get this, um, folks in the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, and Kenya can try out these new and revamped tools in the AI test kitchen starting February 1st. And again, it's uh, only in English for now. So good luck navigating all the different Google tools that are out there, be they image generation within BARD or image generation with like the image effects in this stuff and then we got the text and the music and because they had another music one before so we need to do like a family tree we uh, need a spreadsheet exactly (laughs) it's like a maybe we'll get google bar to generate one for us hey there's a good use tristan (laughs) if only one of us had access to it so yeah do it that's that's the google that's our google update for now but this all this talk about um about image mm-hmm. generation leads yes. into some other governmental and regulatory it does news we kind of touched on it a few minutes ago with you know what does it take to get the government's attention and apparently your answer is taylor swift so well, that's uh, what it takes to add 300 million dollars in value to the nfl apparently <laughs> queen energy NFL, Taylor's version. So on January 30th, a bipartisan group of senators introduced a new bill that would criminalize the act of spreading non-consensual and sexualized digital forgeries created using artificial intelligence. So of course, they have to say things like digital forgeries. So digital forgeries are defined as a visual depiction created through the use of software, machine learning, artificial intelligence, or any other computer generated or technical means to falsely appear to be authentic. So that's your definition of what they think digital forgeries means. So the, you know, I love a good name, right? So are you ready for the name of this bill? <laughs> Disrupt explicit forged images and non-consensual edits act of 2024 or the defiance act (laughs) it's like they really just wanted to spell a word you know there's someone who who works in a windowless office somewhere in the capital that their job is to come up with backronyms (laughs) say how can we make this act sound cool and get people's attention I want to I want to call it the Defiance Act, but every letter has to stand for something. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue. So anyway, the the legislation would also provide a path to civil recourse for the victims as well who had their images depicted in either maybe nude or some type of sexually explicit way. So the Guardian reported that through the bill, victims could sue individuals who produced or possessed the forgery with intent to distribute it or anyone who received that material knowing it was not made with consent. Yes. So now that's the trick is in that's that language. Casting a wide net. Correct. Is knowing. And like Everyone the check burden your hard drives. Proof. Yeah. Like what's the burden of proof if you're going to try somebody in court on that? And God, we should have had a lawyer. Ah. What if you have terrible friends in a group chat and they start like, sending right. that stuff around? Like, ugh. Right. So this is... <laughs> Be careful with that language. Mm-hmm. But Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin explained in a press release that the bill's quick introduction was spurred explicitly by the viral images of Taylor Swift and the White House's demand for accountability. Now, here's what I I just want to add on that. I don't know if you watched that presser. I watched a bit of that press conference. The headlines were very like, government's going to act because of Taylor Swift and all this kind of stuff. Really what happened was like a reporter asked the question of like, this happened to Taylor and like, what are you going to do? I obviously, it's not what the reporter said or sounded like, but that's why 
A, it was even brought up in the first place in the press conference because they were explicitly asked about the Taylor Swift content. So that's how it got brought up. Now, this bill itself, obviously, he's saying it was spurred from that, which is great, I suppose, if that's what he wants to say. Um, But hopefully they were thinking of these things, I mean, with a name like the Defiance Act. (laughs) I hope you were thinking of that longer. Disrupt, explicit, forged images, a non-consensual edicts act. Say that even once. (laughs) But here's my thing. Regardless of what you want to say spurred it and whatever anybody's opinion on it is, and, you know, I think we're in agreement that people have been dealing with this before, celebrities and non-celebrities, and they will be dealing with this for a long time after, so to me, regardless of what finally spurs them, it's like, yeah, let's frickin' go. Because real people without the resources, it it really sucks that it happened to her and it's horrid. She's got resources to hold everybody accountable. Most of us don't. And that doesn't make it okay. But most of us don't. So I look at her as once again pioneering, pioneering for us little guys. So... Just to dig in uh, just a little bit into this issue, and it kind of relates to the next one as well, as but in, in a more, even more horrifying context. So with these deep fakes, these explicit deep fakes of folks, I could see, I mean, I don't know who would argue this, like, because they would be taking quite the reputational hit. But if for some reason you got into some sort of court challenges, and I'm not, you know, a constitutional lawyer or any of that kind of stuff, but... One could say, well, what's the problem? There's there's no copyright issues here. We're not distributing or replicating copyrighted material. Um, these could be these could maybe fall under something like fair use. Uh, it's I mean whether it's parody or commentary or what have what other sort of context one might add to it and say like and no one's you know is anyone actually getting harmed here? This wasn't pictures taken of this th- these people without their consent. Because they're not real pictures, it's the you know, it's the image and likeness being present you know presented in a way that wasn't consented to, but it's not actually them. So I can see some people sort of splitting hairs here to like, you know, lawyers and well paid lawyers maybe defending someone um, in in a case like this, especially if you know you have to uh, you have to determine intent to distribute or but if you're even receiving this stuff. Then there's also the notion of, or the whole idea of some unintended consequences of far-reaching uh, initiatives like this, similar to when you get into things like, uh, this is a thing that happens, presented without comment, but people, minors exchanging sexy time photos mm-hmm. you know, to one another. Some people have been charged with child pornography because of that, even though it's from one minor to another. And then what happens when one, when the, maybe the minor in possession of such stuff ages out? Then all of a sudden, what wasn't if it wasn't child porn before, now, now it is? Or if it was, you know, if stuff being swapped, is it, 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 does it matter if it was consensual or not? I mean, it's still, if it's on its face, it's, and this is talking about like real photos, not even getting into the AI territory. Are we going to end up with a whole bunch of, you know, hapless or ignorant or misguided young people getting caught up in this sort of thing as well. And think of all the reputational consequences that get handled. Because, you know, until you're 25, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed and people do dumb things. So it's just, it's, it's really, really fraught territory. And so I just hope that, that the government officials who are looking at these issues, who are talking to big tech uh, folks, who we're going to talk about in a, in a moment, that they are proceeding with any kinds of regulation in a very mindful and careful way, because there's always the idea of second and third order effects, unintended consequences and the like. And whatever they do, this stuff is going to exist anyhow. So is it worth the energy for law enforcement and whatnot to be pursuing these things? Or is it only when a high profile person, you know, gets affected and now everyone's going to like, you know, get all excited about it for a while. And then it's going to, you know, in six months, it's going to go away until some, you know, until someone else gets hit. Right. I think I would like to see the, it dealt with more in lines of almost like a revenge porn situation. 
because in the states we actually don't have anything federally protecting us Mm -hmm. believe Mm -hmm. it or not there's a few individual states that have revenge porn laws we don't have anything federally so i think something like this probably falls somewhere in that type of realm but i do want to see them take some type of action because it's like we've talked about before like this could ruin your life like if this happened and even though it's i know it's not me it looks like me Mm -hmm. it talks like me and it's doing whatever it's doing like that is so damaging and also skeezy because like you're seeing yourself exposed and like you've lost your body autonomy which and lost enough of that in the freaking states as it is what if it gave me visible abs though would that be okay yeah what if it gave me jennifer lopez's body (laughs) um it's okay it's fine no like so i think it's got to fall more in that realm but what does that look like because we don't even have anything federally yeah for that here so that's kind of why it's like i'm glad something's at least spurring it and to your point i hope it the ball continues rolling once people have forgotten about this in a day Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like and is a bad law better than no law right there's that whole debate too so please get it right i mean it'll probably take a, a lot of effort and a lot of revisions to get it right and they'll probably tie it to something like border funding or whatever. (laughs) So let's move on to a related yet uh, even more horrifying issue. And we won't dwell on this too much, but um, it's, you know, it's all has to do with the the dark side of generative AI. That's the thing is we, 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 we get the bad along with the good. And there's a recent article in Ars Technica saying how cops are bogged down by a flood of fake AI child sex images, according to Oof. a report. So at a, they, so all as part of all these uh, hearings and action on, uh, on Capitol Hill in the last uh, few days at the end of January, there was a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on uh, online child safety. And CEOs of Meta, TikTok, Snap, uh, Discord, and X, formerly Twitter, testified on a variety of challenges in this fraught field. For example, there's a growing problem of realistic yet fake AI child sexual abuse materials. So it's not just... Taylor and et al. So this is known as CSAM. And CSAM came up in a, a couple of years ago when Apple was trying to do some uh, device scanning efforts to alert people uh, of this material on their phones or maybe parents if it's a minor, or et cetera. And they were trying to do it in a way that was mindful, but it, it was ended up being just too thorny and they ended up pulling the plug. Um, so there's this growing problem that's making it harder for law enforcement to investigate real crimes against abused children because yeah. like, the zone is being flooded, right? So Yeah, because wouldn't they have to investigate what comes across their desk? Like, it looks real. Yeah, and, you it know, they're probably real. overworked and underpaid as it is, Ugh. right? You know, starved for resources. So AI-generated CSAM currently exists in a legal gray zone of existing federal and state laws, sound familiar, that may or may not apply. And there's recent legislation proposed to address the issue of AI-generated non-consensual intimate images. So there's Yeah, the- because who's the perv? Why would you generate that? You disgusting... <sighs> pervy predator so that's who we need to find out who's generating the content well the uh, tonight on dateline um to catch an ai predator so there's the uh defiance act as you mentioned the disrupt exploitative force forged images and non-consensual edits act but then there's another one called the preventing deepfakes of intimate images act I don't see a word there, so maybe that's why it hasn't caught on. Um, so yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of bills in the works. Uh, one and one of them was kind of proposed and then kind of dropped, and then it's it's made a comeback. Um, AI is making it harder for platforms, so the, for the social media platforms and other digital platforms, to monitor child sexual exploitation. And it's not just social media, but it's also you know you get, what about like you know like. Google Drive and Dropbox and all this stuff. A lot of these, a lot of these things are being exchanged on other places, and including you know encrypted tools, Telegram, Signal, WhatsApp, and and the like. So you know it's making it harder for platforms to monitor the child sexual exploitation, and there you know how industry collaboration and more resources for, for law in law enforcement are, are are needed. Right, so. To complicate things even more is that 
there are CSAM detection tools, AI-powered CSAM detection tools, like the Apple ones that we just mentioned, um, but they're generating, uh, quote, unviable reports, which mm. is gumming up investigations managed by law enforcement teams, which are already stretched for resources, as mentioned. So, so in addition, okay, so we've got real CSAM out there, horrible. We've got fake CSAM, also horrible, but I guess one could say, well, at least actual children aren't being harmed in that case, even though the, the training data was like, uh, what model is training on that data? Don't even get me started. And then the, you know, talk about second order effects, the fact that we've, with all this stuff, now it's like AI is having trouble telling what's what, and it's not being, so you can get false positive, false mm -hmm. negatives, all that kind of thing. So... Uh, there was one commenter on this on this Ars uh, Technica story that added even another wrinkle, and there's going to be so many of these wrinkles for or, for or corporations uh, that are hosting digital media and allowing the transmission of digital media, which could this could include this kind of stuff, uh, and legislators, regulators, you know, the the courts is so. What, here's just one example. This commenter said, "I'm still confused about how one knows the difference." between a 17-year-old collection of pixels and an 18-year-old collection of pixels. How do you apply those rules to something which technically doesn't have an age, but may look like an age or, or so? What if it's just, if it's a, if it's a, a representation of a 22-year-old that just happens to look like a 16-year-old? I mean, that's also a thing too, right? Some people, that's, that's a thing for some folks. They like them, if not young, to look young. So... It's like I said, it's. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Fraught. And we're going we're gonna to turn the corner here. And we've got mostly positive stories from Tasia's Nunk. But yeah, let's talk about my nunk. We're going to need some AGI, some like dun, dun, dun. the artificial general intelligence, the next level, the singularity. Maybe maybe it can help us with AG the dark side of AI, or maybe it'll make it worse. AGI what say, will save us all. Well, <laughs> exactly. my nunk, Sam Altman says. And that's nerd hunk, just for those yes. who may, may have missed that episode. My nunk says that AGI is coming imminently in the near future. Though he didn't really say what near future exactly means. But here's what he says. Quote, it will change the world much less than we all think. And it will change jobs much less than we all think. Mm. So he said that at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. So what he is saying is obviously very different from what other attendees and what other experts in the industry have been saying because many have predicted and are predicting that we could see dramatic job losses starting as early as this year because of generative ai so then if you take agi journalism <laughs> yeah agi into the mix so also to back up critics have also discounted the concept of agi as misleading because we really haven't settled on like a generally agreed upon definition of the term. I think you and I talked about this a while ago about what Altman says they define it as. So here's what OpenAI says. Their definition states that AGI is a system that outperforms humans at most economically valuable work. So that's how OpenAI mm -hmm. <laughs> defines 
AGI. So I think we probably need to start at what exactly how we all define it. And then we decide whether we hit the panic button or not. My thing is, I don't think he's far off in terms of saying it's not going to change it as much as we all think. Because I think right now everybody's hitting a panic button and saying the jobs and they're coming for our jobs. Mm -hmm. But a lot of companies are realizing the expense and the power it takes to do any type of task with with an AI system. So I think it sounded really cool at the surface and a lot of companies kind of bought in and we were like, yeah, we could get rid of heads and have an AI do it. And then they realized well, this is expensive. <laughs> so I think from that standpoint, he's probably not wrong. From that standpoint, he's probably not wrong. But you know, I'm biased to my nunk, so. I, I think this is further argument for people pursuing the trades, quite frankly. And yes. we've seen a drop off in certain, especially in males, uh, a drop off in university enrollment. Um, and after decades of negligence, I think a lot of jurisdictions are starting to realize that trades are important. We need people to be able to build things and service things. We need plumbers and electricians and Everybody needs to know a good plumber, a good electrician, and a good car person. Good <laughs> grief. Because AI, it's going to take a while for AI or AGI to come for those. I mean, once mm -hmm. we get into robots, for sure. I mean, there's a lot more engineering challenges. And it, everyone's making progress there. Boston Dynamics and Tesla and Google. Everyone's got the robot stuff going too. So, I mean, that's just a question of, of, of time. Now, as to the how much AGI will have an impact, there's that old rule, and I can't remember, we'll have to look, look it up uh, later, but basically that, that maxim that says people tend to overestimate the impact of certain phenomena, like technology, in the short term. So all the people, like a lot of the whatever, the decelerationists, all the doomers, et cetera, they're going like, ah, but a lot of people also, but people also tend to underestimate the impact in the long term. Mm. So maybe, because... In, in, there's the people in, in the, the web uh, talking about the, you know, the World Wide Web in the early 90s. And there were some people like, oh, my God, this is going to change the world. This is going to de democratize information. Everyone, we're going to disintermediate everyone, get, get rid of all the middlemen. It's going to be, it's gonna be a, this grand utopia. Uh, and it's going it's, it's to happen. And things happened eventually, but they didn't turn out the way they wanted. But then the people who wrote it off as being a fad were also very, very wrong. <laughs> Once it got over the hump, we got to critical mass. And you know, subsequent iterations of interactivity available on the web, web 2.0, whatever web 3.0 is, depending on your definition. So yeah, it's fundamentally changed <laughs> humanity, right? That you know, the global information network that most of us have the privilege of having the access to uh, in our pockets. So with AI and ultimately AGI, it could be one of those things that people are like, oh, it's you know, things are. I mean, it's going to be either amazing or terrible in the short term. May may not be that quick, but in the long term, it could be amazing and or terrible. <laughs> so. Well, where do, like, isn't he developing a bunch of chips? Like, where does this fit in with his? Well, if, if you want to power these ambitions, yeah, you're going to need a bigger moat. <laughs> so, and by that, I mean huh? competitive moat, of course. Of course. So you may have heard about the ambitious plans of OpenAI, led by its CEO, Sam Altman, to develop its own AI chips and chip fabrication, fabrication plants or fabs to meet the growing demand for specialized hardware for advanced AI models. This came up in November during the whole OpenAI boardroom drama and the Sam getting kicked out and coming back. One of the contentions uh, being reported was that he was a little distracted by other efforts, such as going out and raising funding for the, these you know, chip manufacturing partnerships and or building AI devices with Johnny Ives' company, Love From, or any other such things. And the question was, was he doing this as like side gigs or was he doing it on behalf of OpenAI? Well, whatever it was at the, the story was at the time, this sounds like this is within the context of OpenAI. So maybe he's been, maybe it was going to be like that all along or maybe he's been chastened a little. So now this, this initiative is called Project Tigris, and it's under the aegis of OpenAI, and it's the name of the company's venture to create a dedicated chip 
tailored to optimize the processing requirements of its AI models. So it aims to improve the performance and efficiency of their models and potentially unlock new possibilities in fields ranging from natural language processing, or NLP, to computer vision. All essential parts of you know, decoding language, expressing things in languages, seeing things in images and the real world, whether static or video. So you need a lot of, there's a lot of processing horsepower. Mm -hmm. And we've seen how our phones have gotten more and more powerful, especially since the advent of things like uh, Apple's own custom silicone and Google's own uh, Tensor chips. And then, of course, other uh, initiatives from other makers uh, such as Qualcomm. Not to mention all the stuff that NVIDIA has been doing. You know, it wasn't just about, they went from gaming to crypto mining. And now, hey, what do you know? These GPUs work great for uh, for AI as well. It just so happens the math works out. into a gold right? mine. Exactly. But, you know, so they've got cards that are, you know, they've got these cards with these high level, high end chips that, that, that can go for like 80 to 100 grand a pop, right? And companies are buying up thousands of them. Tesla's buying a, a, a ton, for example. So that that's, that's real CapEx or capital expenditure for organizations, real costs there. And OpenAI has got some money and they've got a great large partner in the form of Microsoft. But this is the kind of thing where when if you start talking about designing and building your own chips you're, and you're building fabrication plants, these are the kinds of things that take five to 10 years to be, manifest. So at least there, it's good to see that there's a long-term vision there. Again, the what they say, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So that's what's going on here, because most people didn't even hear about, haven't even heard about AI, open AI as of 18 months ago. So uh, this could be the, uh, the, the continuation of talks that have been ha happening for longer than we even realize. But these things take time. So Altman has been wooing potential investors such as G42 and SoftBank. SoftBank has uh, invested in all sorts of things, including <laughs> WeWork, um, to secure substantial funds for building a network of fabrication plants around the world. The project also involves collaboration with top chip manufacturers such as TSMC in uh, Taiwan, Samsung Electronics and uh, of course, South Korea, and Intel in the United States to leverage their expertise in technology. And now, obviously, there's a bunch of inherent challenges and risks associated with developing custom hardware. Uh, there's, you know, the incredibly high cost, as mentioned, the long uh, time uh, frames we're looking at, and, of course, the technical complexity of building and maintaining fabs, as well as the compatibility and scalability issues of the chips. Because that's the thing is you can go down a road building chips with a certain architecture, and then what happens if you have a fundamentally uh, large rethink of your algorithms, your processing. What, what if quantum computing becomes a thing? I mean, that's still a ways off for like mass produced or you know, <laughs> widely deployed. But if you're if you change how you're optimizing your software so that it no longer works great on the custom chips that you spent billion tens of billions of dollars <clears throat> to develop when you factor in all the costs, that all of a sudden you're trying to turn like a battleship, right? And it's like, that's it, going at full speed. And that takes, here's case in point. Um, I think all those, a few years ago, lots of people were mining crypto on, uh, there was something called ASICs, which are custom uh, hardware for, for mining certain types of cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin. And then there were people who were using off-the-shelf graphics cards for mining other, other types of cryptocurrency, such as Ether on the Ethereum network. I know people that invested lots and lots of money building custom rigs with uh, graphics cards and the gamers were having trouble getting the graphics cards. Then what happened is that the Ethereum network had a major rethink and they moved from something called proof of work to proof of stake. No longer were miners getting rewarded for these computationally intensive processes trying to solve puzzles to earn rewards in the form of ETH or Ether. They were now, after a certain point last year, going to get rewarded based on how much ether a, 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 a person or like a, an individual or a pool of individuals were simply holding and acting to secure to, to secure the network. All of a sudden, you've got all these graphics cards that people are unloading 
graphics cards have been run hard for months and months, if not years, and now they've got to like try and pawn them off on Facebook Marketplace or elsewhere to people like maybe gamers that were, uh, you know, hadn't been trouble had trouble getting a hold of them for for a while. We're getting frustrated, but you know, what is what is the state of that hardware? And so that's just one example how an underlying technology uh, software you know or software paradigm could change, and all of a sudden it could render the hardware irrelevant. So I hope that. Part of the game plan is to maintain some flexibility there. So the question is, is OpenAI's strategy viable or is it even necessary? I mean, could they continue to simply to partner with others and you know just absorb the, the costs in that sense? Or you know, it's kind of like renting versus owning, right? Because what, they're, what these plans are, if they come to fruition, it certainly diverges from the cost-effective approach favored by many other AI industry peers, mostly the small to medium-sized ones who are using, a lot of whom are using off-the-shelf models, such as those from OpenAI or, or for, from Meta and others, and off-the-shelf hard, hardware. You know, they're not going and making their own chips. Um, so you know, is this the, the right approach or, you know, not everyone is NVIDIA or Google or Apple and can afford the billions and billions of dollars to develop its own silicon. So is this overreach, Tasia, or is this, is this focus? Is this their differentiator that's going to set them apart from the others or at least at the very least keep up with the big boys? It's not overreach, it's focus. But the, the issue is not just the cost, it's the amount of energy and power, it's all taking. <laughs> just a little, just a wee bit. It's all using up too much. <laughs> to put it in layman's terms. And you know who How agrees much, with Tasia? me? You know who agrees with me, Tristan? Who? My nunk. My okay. nunk agrees with me. There's more Sam Altman news? Do tell. There's more. So I just want to press, like, preface this by saying that some experts estimate that... This whole AI industry could soon suck up as much electricity as an entire country. Speaking of crypto. It's, you know, so what's a nunk to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, tr truly, look for cheaper alternatives. So not only does Sam Altman say that these AI models may require more power, but that they will need a whole new power source. So he said, quote, it motivates us to go invest more in fusion. So then he added how we need better ways to store energy from solar power as well. So like, let's put our nerd hats on for a bit and talk for a second about <laughs> Were we fusion. wearing them already? <laughs> yeah, fusion energy. I'm going to try my best to oh, explain boy. this. Because <laughs> fusion energy has kind of been touted as like a holy grail, mm -hmm. representing, you know, maybe like, a limitless source of energy without really bad risks like nuclear fission, you know? And but, the, well, the waste associated with the traditional nuclear, for sure. Correct. And meltdowns. But despite decades and decades of research, mm -hmm. scientists still have yet to figure out a way to fuse atoms in a way that produces net positive amount of energy at scale. So like when you're talking about the the amount of scale we would need to power these type of systems. Lots of billionaires, though, have been investing in nuclear fusion. I feel like we talked a really long time ago about, like, Bill Gates doing it, um, Jeff Bezos. They've all kind of dabbled, and they've put a lot of their money towards this. And you know who else has? Mr. Sam Altman as well. Mm -hmm. About $375 million dollars in a nuclear fusions company called Helion Energy. And wouldn't you know, Tristan, that company has a signed deal with Microsoft. Oh, you don't say. Hmm, who, as we all know, in case everybody forgot, has invested about, I don't know, $13 billion into open AI. So Everything, just... the tangled web we weave, <laughs> it's all so connected. Synergy. Sure, that's the word we'll use, synergy. Altman has also suggested that AI itself could crack the case on how to make fusion a practical energy tech. So that would be kind of very meta, wouldn't it? And, and not entirely out of the realm of possibility. We've shown it's great at pattern matching. Somehow can provide insights that we haven't, we, we can't glean ourselves. Has made incredible advancements in things in places. Uh, 
feels like protein folding, where we were throwing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of CPUs at, at, at folding at home on people's PS3s and on their computers for years and years. And I don't know which AI it was, but some platform managed to make some great, amazing breakthroughs in a matter of months, maybe years. Again, we should probably fact check that. You hear so much stuff. There's so much news. But protein fold, if they can do it for protein folding, maybe they can do it for nuclear fusion. Well, I just want to leave you with this little thought because, you know, how much energy does it take? I'll tell you how much energy, Tristan. Energy consumption of something like a chat GPT, as an example, so say you make one ChatGPT inquiry, just one. You're not like using it for the day. You're you're prompting it once. That compared to say like an inquiry on, I don't know, like a Gmail or your email provider is anywhere from 10 to 100 times more power hungry. One inquiry. So I just want everybody to think about that and say, uh-oh, <laughs> Panic! Well, how do you feel like better, once better an episode? I'm like, straws, where folks. is my? Yes. So next oh. time you're pissed off about the paper straw, yeah. <laughs> it's um, melted in your mouth as you're trying gosh. to drink. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, like, it's crazy. You know, when you when you look at the the progress of humankind, I mean, if you want to get big picture here, is that human flourishing has almost always correlated with higher energy consumption. So it's a question of the externalities from that energy consumption, you know, whether it's you know, pollution, uh, consumption of natural resources, and the like. And that's why fusion would be great. There are other people with other ideas. Of course, Elon Musk is saying, why don't we do solar, guys, and batteries? Hey, what do you know? I happen to be involved in the battery business and the solar business. We got Solar City as well. So, you know, just block off 100 square miles in you know, the Middle East, and that's enough power for most of the world. I think it was something like that. It was, I mean, a, a big, a big space, but in the grand scheme of things, a small space. Then, but you, then you get into issues of transmission and storage. Storage. And to manufacture these things doesn't, you know, not without its own externalities as well, because there's, you, mine, you have to mine resources for the making of the solar panels and for, for the batteries themselves and so on. It's an age old problem. Right? <laughs> and modern nuclear, smaller uh, form factor, s molten salt, pebble bed reactors. There's all sorts of research happening in fission as well as fusion. And fission might be the stopgap until we get to fusion and that dream of limitless power. And then there's also things like if we're, if, if we are doing solar, I mean, dams are, are great batteries. I mean, again, building dams has a, its own greenhouse gas impact. You know, concrete's not great, for example. And there's impacts on like, you know, valleys and farmland and stuff like that. But you can capture natural rainfall and or snow melts, or you can even pump water up into dams and, you know, using energy, solar energy that you've got while it's live, keep it until you need it, release that water, and then you're powering turbines for when you have your high demand. So there's, there's it's, it's exciting because with the electrification of our economy, the, in, you know, the move towards electric vehicles and the like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of action in this territory already. And AI initiatives will benefit from this, whether it's fusion in the long term uh, or other uh, other solutions in the short term. All this stuff takes power. But uh, we still have more open AI news, even though we're already at an hour. We're almost done. We'll make it quick. We'll end on a, a positive note. This week, there was a, a, a one last bit of OpenAI news. The company has introduced a new feature in ChatGPT that allows users to bring multiple custom personalities known as GPTs. So we've been able to make custom GPTs since November. And then the GPT store finally uh, opened up in January 2024, where you can actually sell your GPTs to other people. You can introduce multiple GPTs into a single ChatGPT conversation by using the at symbol. So you basically tag one of your custom GPTs um, so as a quick refresher, GPTs are custom roles or skills that users can create or download from the GPT store, and they can help you with different tasks or topics such as health, writing, editing, you know, you know custom knowledge uh, sets from your company, your personal life, what have you. You can create experts that focus on smaller domains. It also um, 
so this new feature enables a quasi teamwork among GPTs within ChatGPT proper. So for example, uh, in the Arcs, one of the Ars Technica articles we were looking at, they created a wellness guide GPT uh, crafted as an expert in human health conditions. And they also created a canine health advisor for dog-related health questions. So they started off the conversation uh, asking about um, uh, saying, saying something, oh, I'm not feeling well because I ate too much chocolate. What should I do? Answer concisely in two sentences. And the wellness guide gave an answer. Then the, um, they, they, they brought in the canine health advisor. They said, oh, my dog ate some of the chocolate too. Is that bad? Answer concisely. And it's not shown in the screenshot, but they actually tagged canine health advisor who was brought in to give some more expertise on the canine side of things as opposed to the human side of things. Because that's one of the ongoing debates with these large language models is that, is it better to have one gigantic model that is, tries to be an expert at everything? Or is it better to have more, more and more efficient to have smaller experts? So you may recall weeks ago now, we were talking about one of the initiatives from uh, Mistral AI and they had something called a uh, mixture of experts approach, which kind of did this live and behind the scenes. Um, so in, in the case of the ChatGPT uh, format, they started the default in the default ChatGPT chat, hit the at symbol, started typing the first few letters of the other GPT, um, so wellness, and then Later on, they started asking about dogs and they typed in the at symbol and started uh, and then typed in the first few letters of the canine uh, expert and it entered the canine wellness expert has entered the chat. Um, there's other examples. You could have uh, a mixture of experts in a given a single chat for writing. You could have one GPT help you with writing and then you could introduce another GPT to help you with editing because those are actually different skill sets. Um, it's basically whatever you can imagine where you know, and again, whether it's you know corporately or personally, where you've trained these highly honed um, experts on given topics, and wait, and you you don't want to have to start a whole new chat with a different thing, and then try and copy and paste stuff together. You can do it all live, like a group chat. So there you go, Tasha. We can be having group chats now, where we got one human and multiple robots in the chat. So could this be a step towards our AI? agent future with a, you know, if you start adding a hint of automation in here where the GPTs can work together as a team to fulfill more complex tasks directed by the user. Again, just add in a few hooks, get, get them to talk to each other and not just us. Then you let them off. You know, GPT agents are a thing that people are working on. And maybe this is a step toward that actually working well for folks. Next thing you know, they could be booking your flights for you. There could be flight GPT and hotel GPT, different skill sets, right? And route planning GPT, all that sort of stuff. So again, you just have to let your mind run wild a little bit and start training your own small team of experts. What do you think? What do you want your GPTs to do for you today? You can let us know at feedback at AI named this show. Okay, let's wrap this. Let's let's land this thing, Tasia. But before we do, I'm introducing a new segment called uh -oh. Stupid AI Tricks. Yes. Okay. And it's Stupid just Stupid AI it's, it, Tricks. <laughs> There's my is, Love you. That's uh perfect. Um you're going to get royalties or something, but I don't know. So the it's just going to be a very simple one to get us started to wet our whistle for subsequent weeks. Okay. I anything that pops to my mind that I want to get done quickly and I'm like, oh, if there's only a faster way. Sometimes there's manual interventions. You can write, sometimes you can write macros and scripts to help you with that stuff. But then every time, every time I run up against something I'm like, I wonder if ChatGPT could help or insert your own LLM, your favorite chatbot of choice in there, be it Bard or, or what have you, you know, um, Anthropics, Claude and so on. So like I had for some, I can't even remember what it was I was doing specifically, but I needed to extract a bunch of URLs from a web page and they were encoded into the text of the hyperlinks. So I could copy and paste the page, but then it's just going to give me the, um, uh, it's, it's just going to give me the, the, the hyperlinked text amongst all the other text of the, whatever giant article was there, um, and not necessarily the URLs themselves. If you pasted, uh, especially in a special way as plain text, you know, you, you might get it to reveal the URLs. Great. 
But I thought, but you still have to do the manual cleanup of all the other crap from the article. So this is something that, you know, if, if I did it manually, maybe it would be 15 minutes or so tops. But I thought, why don't I just paste this into ChatGPT? Again, be careful that you're not putting sensitive stuff in there. But this was a public uh, web page, so no big deal. What I did is I went into the, I did a view source on my web browser, and I copied the... Uh, the HTML code of that particular chunk of the page that I was trying to extract the URLs from. I pasted that into ChatGPT and I said, hey, could you please extract the URLs uh, from this text and present them the URLs only? Instructions to that effect. And it just did it. And it took like maybe five or 10 seconds. And it worked. And was, yeah. And I was able to just copy and paste that list and do what I wanted to do with that list of URLs. My, so the, the, the take-home message is if you have a subscription to any of your LLMs, whether they're the basic versions or the pro versions, the plus versions, which may give you better results, just anything that pops your mind, just try it. You might be surprised. So that is our stupid AI trick for this week. And with that, we've made it to the end. This episode of AI Named This Show. Listen, help feed the algorithms. Do you know that we are on... Instagram. Not just me and Tristan personally, but AI Name This Show is on Instagram. You can find us there. Give us a follow so you can learn all about our episodes. Sometimes, guys, we even post reels. You know, like sometimes we're on it and we actually do the thing. So head to Instagram.com slash AI Name This Show. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of AI Name This Show. AI and goodbye. The DTNS family of podcasts, helping each other understand. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.